I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from just outside of New York City from an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'm annoyed, Andrew. Just annoyed. Um, Looking forward to the podcast, but can I just get the annoyance out first? Let me just do that. Um, Football on TNT Sports reports, and they're basically um, piggybacking off a a Telegraph article. Uh, Blue cards... And sin bins are said to be trialed in football, according to reports. Players shown the card will be removed from the pitch for 10 minutes for cynical fouls and dissent. I'll just read Sid Lowe's tweet to this, his response to this. Blue cards now. Just leave football alone. It's really more or less okay, you know. You can stop arsing about with it all the sodding time. I, I, more nonsense. And then you see people like Stu Holden, someone who like played the game, like a, a, was a really good footballer, um, without even seeing the results of a trial, watching a game. I like this. I like it. I take it to be good. I take it. I take it to help manage minutes on the field. How do you know, man? It, like it, it, it's not going to manage minutes. It's not going to make more minutes on the field. It's it's football again with this somehow. Uh, inferiority complex, looking around it, and it's looking at rugby, rugby, of all sports. I'll tell you something. When someone tweets us about an innovation that's in rugby and says we should apply it to soccer, I immediately hate them and think they're a dope and think they don't actually like football or soccer at all. That's how I feel. Like, oh, uh, I love the accountability of referees and you can hear what they're saying. And like, Rugby has all these natural breaks built into it. like And the sin bin, like, no. Lee, soccer doesn't need a sin bin. Apply the rules that are already there. Get on with it. Do your best. This, yeah. this obsession with, with, with tweaking a game, the, the most popular game in the world. Well, we, we, we have to tweak it. We have to make it better. Occasionally something comes along where, they've, where there's a, an, a clear endemic problem. And 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 they fix it, like what Bladder um and 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 the boys did Bladder and the boys, uh, what they did after nineteen ninety, like they goalkeeper strolling around the box, bouncing the ball, hunting it down the field, back pass, you know, like Ireland versus Holland, both of them deciding we'll have a nil nil, and they kick the ball back to their goalkeeper who picks it up, and we and we it was that was obvious, and it got fixed. And they get and and it was an obvious fix, really, and it made the yeah. game better. But this kind of tinkering, 
this nonsense, this inferiority complex that some sport is getting it right and we're not. Oh, I, f- I hate it. I f- hate it. Yeah, this is one. Look, you know that I, I do try to not be the, oh well, we can't do it this way because this is the way it's always been, guy. Like I do, I, I am okay with with trying to be progressive in certain ways, um, but this one is a little bit puzzling to me because I don't know who was asking for this. Like with right. with VAR, for however you think VAR has turned out, in the beginning there was a pe- clamor pe- for it. People were asking for it, and by the way, I still think I'm, I'm, I'll talk a little bit about that later. But I still think there are more people that are fine with it than what we come to realize. However, I I, I think people who saw FA Cup games and tournament games in the last two to three months that didn't have VAR, like the overwhelming majority of tweets about like how nice is it not to have VAR, like they get the um. Sheffield Wednesday versus Hull. Yeah, I'm not going off of tweets, but anyway. No, I, well, okay, go off of me. Sheffield Wednesday versus Hull in the championship there. Was it after Christmas? I sat down and watched it. No VAR. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to go on a tangent, but but Amazing. you hate it. But I can't go off of you, especially because you hated it before it existed. I'm just saying people were asking for VAR. It was something that I think there, it felt like there was a problem in the game. Obvious calls were being missed. How can we fix it? I don't know who... Who is who was clamoring for this? I, know. I was saying what what we need is for a player to to go off for ten minutes after certain fa- like I I don't know. I, I come to your house. I'm sitting in your living room, and I say, you know what? You should knock an archway through the center of the back wall there into the stairs, and it open things out. And you you probably say, yeah. I mean, I guess I've just pulled it out of the sky. Nobody asked for it. Nobody wants it. Does it make things better? Probably not. Just leave the interior design of football alone. I haven't seen the article. Where is this being trialed? Uh, I don't know because the Telegraph are paywalled. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's from it's from who's reporting it in the Telegraph? Yeah, it's just subscribe to the Telegraph then. Okay, subscribe. I don't want to subscribe to that right wing rag. Oh, Um, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, Telegraph. Uh, ben Ben Rumsby. There's Ben. Um, players to be removed from the pitch for 10 minutes if they commit a cynical foul or show dissent towards a match official. Telefa- uh, Telegraph. And it's, uh, it's, it's uh, I mean, it's IFAB. Um, let's see. I'll click on it and see if they've left it read only and we'll do some live stuff. Uh, blue cards to be introduced for football sin bins. Exclusive. The new card will see players removed from the field for 10 minutes if they commit a cynical foul or show dissent. A blue card... Oh, no. There's your trial. I'm not doing that. I could... Yeah, I could do... We could do live audio of me signing up for a free trial if you want. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, so... I, I mean, we've heard enough. <laughs> I mean, what else do there need to be? The headline says it's... A, oh, God. Jesus. Anyway, Again, th- we so we actually... like We did talk about this a few months ago. And we talked about like, okay, if, if their aim is to remove the cynical foul because that's that slows down the game in some way that makes the game, you know, less exciting. You want open play, you want goal scoring opportunities. Okay, fine. But like you've created a whole new problem. So now a, a guy will still commit a cynical foul if he thinks like I don't think this is necessarily going to remove that part of the It'll game. It'll take 10 minutes. And so you've now like to get that back. Now a team is down a man for 10 minutes. And so is it going to be more exciting? Aren't they going to just try to kind of kill off those 10 minutes? Like, 
is they're just, I don't know. I, They'll I don't... find way. They will find ways. They, they 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 will kill those ten minutes. You're absolutely right till he gets back in the game. It's, so it's like, so... so fine. You've gotten back like the the they'll take out the cynical foul to create entire new 10 minute swaths of time in a game yeah, where yeah. teams are just trying to kill those 10 minutes. Like, We're going to get rid of one kind of cynicism and replace it with an entirely new brand of cynicism. Look, if I, if I'm, if I, if we wind up being wrong on this, I'll say it, I'll say, you know what, this has actually worked. Like it's opened up play. No. I don't know, but, but right now I don't, I don't get it. I don't know who wanted it. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I don't understand this. I hate it, man. I don't understand absolutely this. hate it. Huh. There you go. Wasn't expecting to start the pod with that. I, I had not seen that yet. Interesting. Very interesting. And now we have an angry JJ for the rest of no, the No, you've got a riled up feisty JJ. He's angry. He's very angry. Uh, should be a fun one. Should be a fun one. Uh, some AFCON, some Asian Cup stuff. A lot of interesting things that have happened there. Chelsea with an important win in the FA Cup. We'll talk a little bit about that. Matt Turner with a little bit of a hero redemption arc developing. Um, some Manchester ESPN FC released a very Mark Ogden of ESPN FC with a really interesting kind of illuminating feature on the Glazers and Manchester United. And, and it, I would say that for a lot of people, it will confirm a lot of things that we have felt. And now you're sort of putting quotes to those things from anonymous sources. That is important to note. Um, but like a lot of people's suspicions about what's going on there, uh, Mark Ogden sort of went and did some digging and and I think a lot of people are are kind of yelling at their computer screens. I knew it after having read that. So we'll talk a little about that. A lot to do. This should be a fun one. Um JJ, let's get into let's start with AFCON and Asian Cup, uh, because we're now reaching the the pinnacle of those tournaments. And boy, they've included quite a bit of drama. Just to go through AFCON quickly, incredible drama in the South Africa Nigeria game. I'm not sure if I've seen a game end quite the way or at least regular regular time and the way that this one did where i mean nigeria scored to go up two nil in stoppage time and like the celebration is on victor osteman has basically run into the crowd almost like he's run you know those stadiums with like huge areas behind him. he's run 40 yards away to celebrate and like meanwhile as that's happening var is looking at a foul in the build-up not only is that foul then given to chalk off what would have been the ceiling goal in stoppage time, but it was a foul in the box. So now South Africa have a penalty to tie it. They convert it, and we go on to extra time. I've never seen a game come to that kind of conclusion. It was was one of the greatest emotional swings I think we've ever seen right up there with, with Deeney against Leicester. And it was easily South Africa's, um, excuse me, Nigeria's best move of the game. Like it was a, it was a really good breakaway, a nice counter, and uh, you know they had a player charging through on the right hand side, centered for Oshiman. <laughs> the the swing is amazing. It kind of it kind of reminded me of um of that kind of that joy you got um, in the days of the away goal in Europe, where oh there's an away goal and this game has completely gone the other way. Like it kind of gave me that feeling. Um, but oh geez. To be okay, you're two 0 up now. Actually, you're not. You've conceded a penalty, and you're going to be one one. Sorry, sorry. What? Excuse yeah. me. Wait, I, where I, am I? Huh? I, yeah. I mean, it's obviously plausible in the VAR world. I've never, I haven't seen it happen before, or if I have, I've forgotten about it. I'm, I'm amazing, truly amazing. I mean, to happen in a cup semi final, no less. Yeah, crazy. And and then there was, again, it was a game 
where there wasn't a, a lot of these AFCON games, especially in the knockout phases, there's not a ton of like mad clear cut opportunities. Um, but you know, we had we, we saw examples of um, by the way, Nigeria's game, apart from like rapid breaks. A lot of it was getting it into the left-handed, right-hand channel and swinging across into Oshiman, who has serious hang time, like yeah. amazing hang time. But those headers, they never really troubled the frame of the goal. Um, they kind of went over. He missed time to jump. They went into the ground. So there was a lot of that. There wasn't a ton of amazing chances. But uh, Mudau's chance that could have won it for South Africa and time added on at the end of the game, total nightmare fuel. Uh, the Nigerian keeper saves it and I know it's bouncing and I know there's players around him but he slashes at it he's a fullback, I guess puts it over the bar I mean that would have been it and it would have been so cruel for Nigeria they would have been just like coming off the field in a daze um, instead the daze we got was uh, when it went to uh, when it went to penalties some of the worst broadcasting oh sir. Ever- I was going to ask you if you, I didn't know if this oh, was just Jesus, me. Mary and Joseph. <laughs> Everything that could be wrong with a football broadcast happened to go wrong with this one. I, you talk about nightmare fuel. I don't know what was going on in the BN sports truck, yeah. but someone like, you know, we all have those nightmares of like, you're in college and you've overslept and missed an exam. Like, this is sort of the... Oh, you know nothing about the exam. You're in the exam hall in your wife runs. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, like you haven't been to a class all semester and now you're taking the final and you're like, yeah. oh my God, I don't even know. This is this is that come to life for anybody that's ever worked on like the like the back room of a of a broadcast. Oh. Like it's a semifinal and it's penalties and now you're just pushing every button and God only knows what's winding up on screen. So Nigeria convert the first penalty, and then inexplicably, the feed is, it's everywhere. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're showing. You miss South Africa missing their penalty. It comes back, and the audio is now a solid, I would say, eight to 10 seconds ahead of the video. So the announcer is calling penalties you haven't even... Well, before the player has even like gotten to the spot, it was a disaster. Absolute disaster. And what's brilliant about it, it was, was that, like, so for those of us who tried to watch it in real time, it was like, this is a mess. Well, I'll go watch the penalties on YouTube then. No, no, they, they didn't take that probably five or 10 minutes that a technical person would take to, to sync the audio with the pictures. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Leave it exactly as it was on as people saw on television in North America. Leave it that way. So therefore, you had the exact same guys barely uh, he's setting the penalty. He's putting the ball on the spot. Oh, he's missed it. Oh my god, what it was Christ. <laughs> oh my god, it's not an exaggeration to say BN ruined the end of this game. And I'm not we've been we've both been involved in in um in studios Maybe not television, but certainly in studios where technical difficulties have happened. Sure. I have total, uh, what would you say? I have total like sympathy. My heart goes out to whoever was responsible. A thousand percent. And there's nothing they could do. But there's no point saying otherwise. It was absolutely destroyed the end of that game. 
from yeah, from a viewing perspective, it's it's the most disastrous ending to a major game I've ever seen. With yeah. I, I maybe I mean like, what do you have to go back to like Jets Raiders the Heidi Bowl? Like, is it like almost to that level? What was the one where it was? Um, was it the U? It wasn't the. It was the XFL, the the first XFL, and they had. A, a huge game and, and like the XFL was getting a bit of momentum. It was getting ratings and they had a big showdown between the two best teams or two teams that would draw a crowd. They, they filled the stadium and the generators went down and they, they had to pause the game and whatever happened, they could not run into um, Saturday night live. So they were, they were the run into Saturday night live, but because of this delay, and they had this amazing, exciting game right at the end. Though. So the game was super exciting, but they had to go to New York because Lauren Michaels was losing his S in New York because, because Saturday Night Live was huge then. It was really before the internet was massive. Like So Saturday Night Live was the thing. And um, yeah, just this, this mess of a game. Uh, they lost so many viewers who missed the end of this amazing game because the generators went down. Oh, it was man. basically not enough petrol in the generators. And it it was probably one of the the, the death blows for Vince McMahon and and uh and uh Eber, what was his name? Ebersol mm-hmm. uh, for for um NBC. Yeah, for NBC and for for the XFL. I mean as it was happening, like I knew how frustrated I was. I was just trying to think about if you're a Nigerian fan or a South African fan that's gone through the stress think like the, we just talked about the way the game ended with like mm. a goal that was called back and then a penalty. Like this was a, this game had some insane moments and everything was on the line, a spot in the final. If you're a fan of one of those teams and you've, the stress of penalties is enough. You know, like now you have, now you have this, but, but I, I will say my sympathy is there for whoever, and it may not be someone I've been in those rooms and seen these things happen. And it is when you are relying on technology Technology is not a hundred percent, and sometimes things things do go wrong, and it's not necessarily a person's yeah. fault. This felt like somebody was hitting the wrong button, um, but my sympathy is real because I I have been that guy. I don't know if I ever oh, told you this God. story, but when I was in college, uh, I was at Syracuse, and my friends and I we stayed up at Syracuse for a summer and got summer jobs there and lived in a house, and it was incredibly fun. But the job I got was to be it was the summer between my junior and senior year of college, and I got the mm-hmm. job to be the uh, producer and board operator for Syracuse Sky Chiefs baseball, AAA affiliate. And so I trained once at the radio station where the games were broadcast from. <laughs> then they, it's opening day. All right, <laughs> go do this thing now. Um, and I couldn't get the broadcast to switch over. It was a music station. I couldn't get the broadcast to switch over from the music to like the live broadcast of a baseball game. There was a thing you had to do. And it was late at night. They're calling people to try to bring people in. I couldn't get anyone on the phone. So finally the fourth inning comes around and the game finally gets on the air. And the way I was feeling during those first three and a half innings, JJ. Oh my God. I, it, it was, it's honestly, it's the, it's the worst. But it was nothing you could do. Like, it yeah, wasn't a- I, I tried everything. And then eventually you start to sweat. You almost get dizzy yeah. and you just start hitting. Like you just lose function of your limbs and you're just, I'm hitting buttons now. I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm just hitting buttons like a, like a monkey sitting at, at the board. 
like would have been as effective as I was in that moment. My brain had shut off and I was just started to sweat. It's the worst feeling in the world. And I can only imagine, and that was for a game that I don't know how probably not that many people were listening to. I can't imagine what was going on for a cup, a cup semifinal. Um, like uh, that. You, you do have sympathy. It's, because, it's a horrible feeling. Well, it, it's a terrible feeling. Even if it is a mistake on your part, when you can't, when you get into that panic state where you can't, see what's going what's gone wrong or you can't rash oh my god that's exactly right Uh, but i typed in i went on twitter i was like is this just me so i typed in being sports just to see like is everyone dealing with this jj i saw a tweet from uh, a handle gideon jr um (laughs) who told who told the being sports admin quote god will punish you (laughs) was his tweet I know. Oh my that, god! But like that's to be—I don't know if he was a Nigerian fan or a South hey, African. Step fan, outside. That, I just want to talk to you, bro. I just want to talk to you. I'm not going to do anything. I just want to talk to you. Oh God! God will punish you. Oh, that's <laughs> I mean, that is that's brutal. But sure enough, Nigeria—they do they do win on penalties. Um, boy, it was a big call. I thought to remove Victor Osiman in about the 113th minute, but then Mafi comes on. And almost wins a penalty himself. He gets fouled about a centimeter outside the box, but drew a red card because he was a la- could have scored. But he drew the foul as the last man. Uh, that was another then, really good break from um, from Nigeria. Um, yeah, yeah. And Jeez. then he converted his penalty. So I, I guess the, the call to take Osiman out, I, I suppose, did pay off. Uh, but, but yeah, yeah but, but there was a sense in the game like you've got this talismanic player. Like the penalty that Osiman won, I he won it all on his own. Like, he literally got played the ball in 25 yards out, and he spins and he turns, he loses control once, brings the ball back, and then bursts into the box. Like, it was all him. Um, and there was a sense that uh, Nigeria were kind of one-dimensional a little bit. You know, find, trying to pick him out with crosses, do, do that kind of thing. And, and maybe it opened up the game a bit for them. But didn't really open it up that much. They still had to go to, had to, go to penalty. Yeah. Uh, so Nigeria into the final uh, Sunday at 3 o'clock, where they will face Ivory Coast, who are on the verge. I mean, Nigeria is going to be a tall order for them. They won't be favored. Um, But they're on the verge of completing one of the wildest in-tournament turnarounds that I have ever seen, probably that anyone has ever seen. So just to take you back, like, oh, I don't know, a week ago or a week and a half ago, this same Ivory Coast team uh, lost to Nigeria 1-0. Okay, that can happen. Then they go on as the host nation to lose to Equatorial Guinea 4-0. In the group stage, it was the worst. It was their worst ever home defeat. It was the worst defeat by home nation in the cup of Na- in the Africa Cup of Nations since 1984, which was also Ivory Coast. So they then fired their coach yeah. in the middle of the group stage. They were the worst team of the four third place group stage teams to advance. They only advanced because Ghana conceded two goals in stoppage time against Mozambique in the 91st and 94th minutes. Incredible! It it doesn't even make sense that Ivory Coast are here. But here they are, and I thought uh, Simone and Dringa, uh, Dringa of Brighton, who's on this Ivory Coast team, had a great quote uh, saying afterwards, he said, as we say here, we are already dead, so we can't die twice. This team is playing, JJ, with the most clear, we have nothing to lose attitude because this was over for us. Everything that's happening now is just gravy. Now, I think you can say that up to a point. Now you're in the final and you're the no, home nation. Things so, have changed now. Right. You're here now. So now there is something to lose because you're ha- you got one hand on the cup. So now like we'll we'll you, see if that changes at all. Do you think though like sometimes a bad start is is kind of it, it? Obviously, you don't want it so bad that you don't make it out of your group. But sometimes a bad start lowers expectations just enough 
frees up players. Do you know, like even know. even in game, sometimes when a team goes one nil down, it it, it kind of clarifies the situation. Okay, well, here's what we have to do now. Expectations are gone. Yeah, you, you know what? I do see a little bit of that. I, I especially in game, I think that's a good point. Where like if a team starts to build momentum, the other team starts thinking about what they can lose here. Yeah. Like they're the ones trying to hold on to something. The thought like of losing for, that thing can can add to the pressure. Like sometimes um when Italy in World Cup ninety four lost Ireland in the first game, it kind of it freed them a bit. They went I on mean, then went to the final. It um, kind of just happened. Argentina lost to Saudi Arabia. Exactly. Now, I still thought that they were a little bit tense in the rest of the group stage. Yeah, that's um, true. But it, about, Spain too, right? In, Spain in their in, World in, Cup in twenty ten. Uh, would I say it freed them? I don't know. But but, a, but the 4-0 loss to Equatorial Guinea shows that they were not freed after their Nigeria loss. <laughs> there was still something fundamentally wrong yeah, there. Yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm clutching at uh, straws here. But I, but I get what you're saying in the sense that after that, there was, like know, Adringa sometimes... said, we're dead. Like, we've died already, so it can't get worse. Sometimes when you have nothing left to lose, there's a, there's a clarity in that. It, it's an incredible run that they're on. And it's an incredible story too. Sebastian Haller scoring what dis- what wound up being the winning goal uh, in the one nil win wasn't a thing of beauty. It was, I mean, it was a nice volley, but he kind of smashed it into the ground and then got a pretty fortuitous bounce over the keeper um, as it just sort of looped in for the winning goal. And I mean, this guy's story, like we've talked about, is just incredible. After he's battled back from cancer, he's lost his place with Borussia Dortmund as their number one striker. Um, but now here he is for his country leading this team uh, as the host nation into a final. Pretty amazing. Uh, you can only imagine what he'd feel like uh, should they be able to go all the way. Uh, yeah. Just amazing. And that'll be a fun one. Like we said, so we talked last week or two weeks ago about how all the chaos of the Cup of Nations, but you do still have Ivory Coast and Nigeria sitting out there. Wouldn't, wouldn't it be something if we wound up with kind of a normal final? Well, we did. With all the weird upsets and everything, we did wind up well, with the home nation and one of the favorites here at the end. Didn't, we we took a like, scenic route to get there, but <laughs> it always felt like, you know, I mean, the, uh, Democratic Republic of Congo still have a chance to get like third place in the in the third place game against South Africa. By the way, if you're a European side with players in those in either of those two teams or just a club side, and you're like, oh, God, it's third place. What are you doing to me? Um but it's I I I think um, you know eventually those those Mauritania <laughs> they were those guys were going to kind of max out their cards. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, no, it's a it'd be a fascinating final. Yeah. Uh, then in the Asian Cup, JJ South Korea stunned, oh. absolutely stunned by Jordan. Can I interject for one second before sure. we do what we're we're lining up to do? Mm-hmm. I I have to give Jordan uh, as as we do on this podcast their flowers jordan were fantastic like they were brilliant their press was perfect um the two goals that they scored were class absolutely class um and and like it's easy it's very very easy for us to come on here especially with the manager uh jürgen klinsman of south korea to just kind of oh well you know launch into that but like um uh altamari's goal where he just kind of slaloms through the South Korean defense and then bends one around the keeper. Beautiful. And the first goal, which was dinked over the keeper, uh, Al Naimet, brilliant goal too. So I just want to say that Jordan looked amazing. 
and deserve, absolutely deserved a 2-0 win. They have one player playing for a European club, and it's Montpellier. Listen, they had 17 shots, seven on target. South Korea had eight shots, nothing on target. I don't know how that can happen with Sun and um, Wang Yichan. Come on. This is, this is, and this is where we get into it. Um, This is abject for South Korea. This Mm is utterly unacceptable. Utterly unacceptable. And they've had a couple of results um, to get here that have uh, papered over the cracks of this. Klinsman is, he's never a dead man walking. He's a smiling, happy man walking, always. Uh, But I got some quotes here. So uh, Sung Mo Lee is a Korean football journalist who follow him right now if you're if you're if you're trying to catch up on all this. Um, so the press conference was, uh, I think it was at the airport or it was on the way out, and um, Klinsman was his usual self, like did not seem disappointed enough enough, did not seem upset enough, kind of. Tried to suggest that in one of his answers that, well, hey, you know, these are the best teams from all over Asia. You know, I think getting to this point was really good. Mm. Mm. And not going to cut it that way. No. Um, he suggested that um, that uh, Hyungmin Son will remain uh, an international player for, for Korea. But I think consensus on, on Twitter and consensus in, in the South Korean media is that that is not assured and certainly not assured that he'll stay under this manager. He's 31. Um, let's let's I'm I'm not going to jump to any conclusion. If I was if I was betting, I think you'll see Sun in a South Korean uniform again. Um, so we'll Sung Mo Lee, last question to Klinsman was, what's your next plan? Will you keep doing the same way? And brackets remotely working in America. Uh, yeah, next week I'll be back to home for a little bit. Then I'll visit Europe to see uh, Lee Kang In, Sonny, Kim Min Jae, and then in a few weeks we play Thailand. There are a lot of he goes on. There are a lot of traveling. There is a lot of traveling in my job, and you have to be used to that. You criticize every time you can, but this is the life of the national team coach. It's different from a club coach. I've said this a few times, and if you ask me again, I'll say the same thing. Yeah, so there's. Recent controversy in Ireland, uh, the FAI were believed to be demanding that the next coach of the Irish team lived in Ireland. That would make no sense, as all our players are in England, or the majority of them are in England. So it's no disadvantage for the Irish coach to live in England. But it is a disadvantage for the South Korean coach to live in America, where there are zero South Korean players. Zero. And this is something that's... um, we've run into before with Klinsman when he was involved in the German national team. All right. They had that semi-final run in 2006, but there was a sense that he wanted to be in America and he wanted to do the job from America. And that's not possible because the majority of German players are in, in Europe. Um, but this is the, the, the killer from, um, from Klinsman. One additional question at the end on zero shots on target versus Jordan Klinsman. Yeah, that was the disappointing part in the game versus Jordan. We didn't create the chances enough. I was also angry and disappointed after the game. I was not happy at all. He could have fooled me. Um, the, the, the striking thing is like the the 
the few chances that Korea created. But more than that, Andrew, Korea, have they ever looked less clueless on the ball? I've never seen them. If you just watch the highlight package, it is just moment after moment after moment of the Koreans giving the ball away. That is not who they are. They've, like, since kind of the breakthrough year 2002, they've always been good on the ball. They've always created these triangles. They've always been able to pass and move the ball. That's not been their failing. This team looks worse under Klinsman. And uh, Sung Mo uh, finishes up with, uh, let me find the tweet. Yeah. Uh, one thing I feel, and this is him speaking himself, Sung Mo Lee. One thing I feel very strongly about Klinsman now, he is so adamant that he never will resign the post for, for himself. In a sense, he's a bit strangely positive, even in this situation. It's up to the Korean Football Association now whether they will sack him or not. If they don't, Korean fans won't forgive them. That's that's pretty strong. Um, yeah, I mean, they played Jordan twice, didn't win either one. On. Drew with Malaysia. Come on. Like, I mean, it, if it was a tournament that was supposed to kind of be a way for Jurgen to alter whatever the perception of him is as a manager, it decidedly did not. Uh, like, yes, you could say, like, they... They definitely played with a never say die attitude, um, but like I would say, most Korean teams that you think of already sort of had that reputation. I don't think Klinsman yeah. instilled that in them. Like, I, and like also, I don't know if it's such a great thing that they needed a 99th minute goal for Saudi Arabia and a 96 minute goal versus Australia to have remained in the tournament. They beat no. Bahrain three one in their opening game. That was really their only decisive win. And, and I, by the way, I don't know how decisive it, it was. One one in the second half. <laughs> Lee Kang, and then Lee Kang in scored twice. So even that, like, how decisive a win was that over Bahrain? But but like you, sometimes, sometimes in this world of stats and soccer, the eye test is enough. They don't look as good as they looked. Oh, at the at the last World Cup. This was from the BBC where they were quoting Seo Hyung Wook, who is a commentator in Korea. He said the team played with no specific tactics. It all depended on individuals and not the team. And there was just one win in six matches within 90 minutes. He looks like a part-timer staying out of Korea and watching very few matches in which Korean players played, said Seo. Uh, he just travels around the world to meet players and coaches. I don't think he has any plan to develop Korean football. Uh, I don't know. I don't see how he keeps his job. Uh, I don't know either, but you know what? His sunny disposition. Listen, there's another job around the corner from. I just hope it's not the Republic of Ireland. <laughs> Is, has that been discussed? Are there people? Are there? Is there like any groundswell of There's support for that? He, I haven't heard him. I haven't heard his no. name. In fairness, no. they've they've had a, a fair pursuit of a, a successful young coach in Lee Carsley that I thought was done. It is not done. May not happen. But whatever, it can't be this guy. It cannot. No, be I don't think that. No, I don't think it is. Um, so yeah, South Korea shockingly out and 87th ranked in FIFA's world rankings, Jordan are into the final where they will face Qatar. Amazing. Uh, and I know Qatar um, are the defending champions of the Asian cup, but I think after their performance at a, a world cup that they hosted, I don't think anyone really saw this as a possibility. I, you know, Japan would have been my pick. Um, they went out earlier to Iran who Qatar defeated three, two in a thrilling game uh, to advance to the final. Incredible back and forth match. Uh, Ali Yahanbash hit the post right at the death that could have sent it to extra time. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I guess I would wonder about with this Qatar team, and it kind of ties in what, what we've seen in AFCON as well, what we talked about there, we're, we're sort of 
once again, left to wonder a little bit about the manager's role in international play. Now, Klinsman is one thing with South Korea, but you know, Ivory Coast fired their manager during the tournament. Qatar, who's in the final, fired their manager, Carlos Quiroz, a month before the tournament. I don't know. I, f- I feel like there's an explanation for this beyond new manager bounce, but I can't quite figure out what it is. Yeah, no, I can't either. Um, I, I'll be honest, I haven't paid much attention to Qatar uh, in this tournament. <laughs> I've kind of been fixated on South Korea. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know, Andrew. I really don't. Um, but like, I, I, when when you saw them play, not obviously not in the World Cup. The World Cup seemed too big for them. They seemed completely like rabbits in the headlights. But when we saw them at um, the Concacaf, they were in the Gold them, Cup. Yeah, but they looked all right, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So like, maybe it was just the pressure playing at home, mm. uh, the pressure of putting on a big show. Also, you know, their fans didn't exactly help them. I mean, that Qatar is just not a football nation, and the, and we saw various examples of when things were going wrong in the first game you know, Qatari fans just leaving and some Qatari fans were paid to be there. So um, maybe they're unbound when they play in, in tournaments that, uh, um, I don't know. I can't understand. Uh, I, I I know they're on, you know, like they're on, uh, I suppose, like this journey of where they've been uh, nowhere in soccer then they get a world cup then they're pumping money into the national team then they're trying to you know get even like players who aren't nationalized players who aren't really born in qatar then this whole thing i i don't know i don't yeah but this is a great run for them basically yeah and look I mean, if they were on if you think they're unbound i mean they are the host nation here too oh no i know i know but like maybe they maybe after the experience of the world cup where they're like Oh, our home country doesn't really seem to be bothered that bothered about us. And now they just don't care. Now they're 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 unbound in that sense. Like they we don't have any support. We're not bothered by that. Let's get on with it. Well, they'd be expected to defend their crown, I would think. Uh, for whatever this incredible story has been with Jordan, Qatar will be favored here. Uh, so should be interesting. Not a great tournament for some of the for you know the the Japan's, the South Korea's, Australia, Iran. I mean, none of those, none of those showing up in the final. There's yeah. Jordan. Incredible. Really, really rough for for uh, Iran to lose that one. And, and don't forget, like the size of Iran versus the size of a country like like Qatar is is yeah is is something. I I I naturally I did this immediately as you were talking there. Jordan and Qatar restored diplomatic ties, but why now? Uh, Lawrence <laughs> Rubin writes uh, an article on. Uh, IISS facts analysis influence um the reestablishment of formal diplomatic ties between Jordan and and Qatar illustrates how Amman must carefully balance competing domestic and regional interests and pressures in the changing regional environment what are we doing what's going on this is uh no do you not naturally when you see these teams come together like so you're like okay how do they like each other like is this what's <laughs> going on here so they res- they restored diplomatic ties in um 2019. So, well, thank God. Obviously, Maybe. ahead of this well predicted final. Uh, so yeah, a- Afcon Asian Cup finals both coming up this weekend should be fun. I mean, they- they've been fascinating tournaments, and uh, now we find out who will win them. JJ, we go from that tournament to the FA Cup. Chelsea and Aston Villa we had their replay um, yesterday, and I'll say this for a team that's been struggling, Chelsea actually looked really good in this one on the road at Villa Park, three one. Uh, they played very well. Um, 
after two, I uh, I listened to uh, straight, the Straight Out of Cobham podcast for my sins after the Wolves game, mm-hmm. and uh, oh, oh Lord! Like between the crowd, between the the Chelsea uh, Chelsea specific media, you know, uh, our friend Liam Toomey, I he he spoke. Um, he recorded something immediately after the game. The toxicity is toxicity in the stadium. Sterling being booed, sarcastic clapping of passes yeah. from their for their own players, like it's just awful. Like really, um, really, just a general sense of this is this is a disaster. And even even like watching the game myself, I thought it's it's probably time for Pochettino to go because I don't <laughs> know how he can turn this round. I don't, you know. So let's talk about that because Poch has spoken a lot lately. Oh, he's been running his mouth. So he said some of this. This was before the Villa game. He said in the press, the, the pre-match press conference, um, he was talking sort of about the season that Chelsea have had. He said, we have, we have a very good group of players, but for different reasons, as we have explained from the beginning of the season, we are not performing in the way that the people expect. And when the expectation is different from the reality, it's difficult to get what you deserve. That's why the patience has never arrived. When we lost to Liverpool, it was massive fail. Oh, look at Chelsea, how bad it is. When Liverpool lost to Arsenal, I didn't hear anything. But it was a similar result to when we played against Liverpool. That is no. affecting the players because this team needs confidence. We need the support, and our fans need to be behind Chelsea. The people need to realize that situation. We cannot send any different messages. Uh, he wanted to talk more about expectations. He said, we know the quality of the players. The only problem is it takes time to build a team, and that is the reality. The fans need to be patient. So patience seems to be the big thing coming out of this and Poch pleading right. people to understand that. And so I've been wondering about that because obviously there's there's this part of you that sees what the, that A, it's Chelsea, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and B, what has been spent to build this team. That's not, I mean, when you're going over a billion, patience isn't usually the word that you're going to use to apply to that situation. When you're spending that kind of money, win now, is going to be the expectation. So let's look at Chelsea. That's that's the expectation at Chelsea anyway. Calling for patience is going to fall on on deaf ears. It, yeah, it is. However, let's look at this team and see. Okay, like no one is going to no one is going to high five Potch for saying this. But does he make some points? So just looking at, at uh, Chelsea's squad yesterday against Villa, they had an average age of twenty two point eight. It's really young. Now the problem for Chelsea. And specifically Pochettino, he's a new manager. He's trying to find footing with a new team. And his problems have kind of been threefold. One, they've brought in a large number of players. And he's walked into a a squad that pretty much lacks all natural chemistry. So, like, look at their 11 yesterday. Petrovic, first year with the club, made 13 starts. Badia he's been there for two years, but he's only started 20 games. Diasi, or Disasi, first year with the club. Chilwell, fourth year with Chelsea, but he's only started nine games this season. Malagusto, first year with Chelsea. Connor Gallagher, second year with Chelsea. But he's like their vet. He started 49 games in the last two years. And that's like their veteran player. Enzo Fernandez, first calendar year at Chelsea because he came in January of last year. So he's been there for one literal year. Caicedo, first season. Cole Palmer, first season. Nicholas Jackson, first season. Noni Madweke, second season, but only 14 starts. Seven of their 11 who started this game are essentially, with Enzo Fernandez kind of being the asterisk one, are essentially in their first year with the club. Three more are in the, just their second. Two of those only started 20, 20 games or less. Chilwell's the only vet. He started less than 10 games in all competitions this season. So how are you developing chemistry, cohesion, continuity? Like these guys haven't played. They barely have played together. So you have that problem. 
And like the second problem is the obvious one too. Some of the marquee signings have just underachieved. Like I know Enzo Fernandez had a brilliant free kick yesterday. He can be good, but he's inconsistent. Nicholas Jackson been disappointing. The defensive signings have all kind of been this more or less the same, mediocre, a yeah. little less than mediocre. And then the third problem, and it's the one people don't like to talk about because it sounds like excuse making, but you know, so many new faces, guys who have underachieved, and then they've been crushed with injuries. In Kunku, their big signing, two starts. Reese James, six starts. Chilwell, nine. Kukurea, 11. Romeo Lavia, zero. Wesley Fafani, forget he's on the team. Got hurt in the summer, out for the season. Levi Colwell out recently. Robert, their number one keeper, Robert Sanchez. He's been out for a while now. So, like, none of this is to say that Pochettino has done a good job. I wouldn't say that. But circumstances have also not helped him. Tons of new players that have no chemistry, and then tons of guys who are important to what he wants to do that have gotten hurt. Chelsea fans, like, I know already what I'm going to hear. Oh, figures the Tottenham fan who hates Chelsea is going to come up to Pochettino's defense. Uh, he's not. He has not done a good job. But I also think people are going too far the other way if you're calling for him to be fired. If we, Whenever managers get fired, we always do our, was this fair? If Pochettino got fired today, I get it. I would understand it because that's the nature of the Premier League today. Managers are just not given time. But if we did our, was that fair? I would look at all that stuff and say, uh, eh, Lots of random new players thrown together thrown together in the last year, and a lot of his key players injured. Not sure it was fair. That's kind of where I fall on it. Uh, Pochettino was speaking to ITV uh, yesterday after the win, where he actually looked pretty relieved, and he's talking with um, with ITV about those specific problems. And it sounds as if Andrew, you teed him up for for uh, for this. What's happened since the Wolves a, game? We're a young team, and Roy, you know very well that. Always is about to be solid and consistent, and it's the most difficult thing in a young team. Uh, we need to build our mentality, <laughs> the mentality of this guy. Maybe <laughs> sometimes we need, you know. But uh, I think it's, it's always about to try to find the balance. Um, uh, when I arrive 15, 16 player to the team, always it's difficult to put all together and start to work and and you know and unite all the the ideas and, the, of course, the characteristics of the player. But today I was so pleased because we were talking a lot in the last few months in, in the way that we need to, 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 to create and to build that idea of to be a team. But today before the game, if you see a little bit and the perception for sure, or you, or you can see, that the team was in the middle, all together, you know, ready to compete, ready to fight, ready to go. And always it's about energy and attitude. When you listen to that, it all sounds reasonable. You know, he's talking about 15 or 16 players coming in, um, young players. The hardest thing to do is to get continuity. Um, he needed that win so badly. Like, and yeah. it, it, the fact it was Villa who have been good, uh, um, well, mostly good this season and, and, you know, have been and, and put out a good side yesterday. I mean, Villa had Bailey, Tielemans, McGinn, Watkins. Um, Luis, Cameras all started the game. You know, they had pretty much their strongest side out. So it's very good that Villa, uh, that Chelsea could come in and uh, to Villa Park and dismantle them like that. That is a, that is something that he desperately, desperately needed. And and also that they had more shots on target than, than uh, Villa as well. The, the thing about it is that all this can be true. So Everything you've laid out can be true. Everything Pochettino has laid out can be true. And yet, B 
because of the nature of the club and the way the club is run and the money that's being spent, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Chelsea is not a club that has been run since the Abramovich era on, well, let's build and let's take transition seasons and we're moving forward with the youth. Never been that way. It, it, it was attempted under Frank Lampard for the season where they had the transfer ban. And what happened the season after? They spent like $200 million in one summer. Right. They made up for that ban very quickly. That is the way the club is run. Um, the fans are difficult, to be honest, which is very difficult. Uh, they don't they don't tolerate being anything other than relevant because they've been, I suppose, spoiled for since two thousand and five. They've been always in the conversation towards the top of the table, with rare exception. And in that rare exception, Jose Mourinho was the guy that lost out. Um, and on his second stint at Chelsea. But I, I, I will say, not to cut you off there, I don't think that's necessarily unreasonable, though, for Chelsea fans. When they see what's being spent on their team, if the bar is relevance, I think that's reasonable. Well, I think it's reasonable as well when they see what may be coming down the down the line, which we spoke about financially for them. <laughs> I mean, yeah. their winning window may shut very, very soon for this side because of the way that the, the haphazard way in which the money's been in, invested and, and the money's been spent. So, like... Yesterday, I would not, I can't get involved in, in, in turning points. I've seen a few people saying that that Chelsea performance is a turning point. Like, if Pochettino makes a team, a decent team out of this this Chelsea side, you wouldn't be shocked. But I can't say that it's, that it's a turning point yet. They're far too fragile. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that will happen within the confines of this season. No, but it was vital for... For Pochettino's uh, longevity, that he got a win there. Could, could because still come eight, out of this season with a double. Eight games, yeah. Eight games, uh, eight goals conceded across two games um, against Liverpool and Wolves. And just oh, the, gen- and, yeah. the general... Well, Wolves at home. Like Liverpool, oh, maybe you home. can excuse it, but Wolves at I home. I know, but still, again, don't forget where, where, where Chelsea supporters think they're at. They think they're above or in the same realm as Liverpool. Well, yeah, as a club, but not within this season. They know the no. Liber- they know Liverpool is far. All right, you tell the fifteen hundred, two thousand. How many of them that travelled up on a on a Wednesday night to see their team play? <laughs> no, Anfield. I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to I'm, say watch that them they... get pumped, yeah. get pumped. They they don't want that, and then to concede four at home to Wolves. They, yeah. That's all I'm trying to say. The the Liverpool one you say on the road to Liverpool is a tough game. Wolves at home is the one where where people will lose they, their minds. They are not a fan base that is with you thick and thin. They're just not. They know it themselves. They 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 like to they like to pretend that they're all you know, but they're proper chels and proper yeah. chels meaning means an absolute tantrum if their team is underperforming and this team is way underperforming. And it doesn't help that their manager made his name and his success at a club that they detest. I don't no, think that'll that play in this way. Tottenham and, and Chelsea do not do well in the manager exchange between Mourinho, no. Conte. Uh, I guess you could even, you want to include VS Boas? Does that count? Well, VS Boas went the other way. Um, yeah, I. What do you mean? It doesn't count. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does count. VS Boas was, if anything, VS Boas never had a top job again after Tottenham. He's been in Russia. Yeah, he's, yeah. It's yeah. interesting that it kind of that done him. <laughs> Absolutely done <laughs> well, him. I've always said they'll break anyone. 
that no, well, there was there was a sense that he couldn't cut it at Chelsea, and then he went to that that tier just below the top tier of sides and went to right. Tottenham and couldn't cut it, and that was it. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, amidst all this, as if Pochettino needs this, Thiago Silva's wife oh. uh, Bella uh, called for Pochettino's firing on Twitter. She tweeted, "It's time to change. If you wait any longer, it will be too late." Um, who I'm scored? With, I'm, but... I'm I'm with Bill Burr on this. Oh, absolutely with Bill Burr on this. And I'm with him um, on both sides of, of the gender right. The spouses have to shut the f*** up. You're not involved. Stop. Like, has Tiago said, like, there's, a, there's a danger that you veer into, like, you know, uh, 1950s tropes about, about women. But, like, has Tiago Silva got no influence whatsoever? Like, he surely can't want this. No, and, wife... and Poch said that Pochettino was asked about it. He said that they did. They spoke. Tiago Silva came to him and and talked. They talked about it. Um, I don't know if many more details were re- revealed beyond that. He's a me- she's a menace. She's yeah, I mean this this is yeah this one's bad. Especially so who scored then did a breakdown <laughs> of Chelsea this season with Tiago Silva in the lineup and without him in the lineup. So that he's had twenty games, twenty five games in the lineup, seven not in the lineup. Um, their win rate when he has played is 36%. Their win rate when he has not is 86%. Um, loss rate with him in the lineup, 40%. Loss rate without him in the lineup, just 14%. Goals conceded per game with him, 1.56. Without him, 0.71. Again, it's not all down to one guy, but it doesn't look good. He's 39. Like, I mean, look at, you know, I sometimes, it's not always the best, but I sometimes like JJ, the tool that FB ref has where they compare, like they, so they compare Tiago Silva to other center backs in Europe's top five leagues over the last 365 days. He's in the 26th percentile on tackles, 32nd in interceptions, 40th percentile on blocks, 45th percentile on aerials, one ah. 14th percentile on progressive carries. Like, I mean, you know, like what age is he, Andrew? He's 39. And it's starting to show like, yeah. So he got, he like, got isolated if... out on the left-hand side. I, we, I've already talked about this against Cunha at the weekend. And it was like, this is wrong. This is elder abuse. <laughs> and so look, maybe the suggest, maybe he's telling his wife that like, oh, the manager's putting me in these positions. It's not right. There's a better way to, I don't know. But what I do know is that Chelsea probably don't want to be making their managerial decisions based on a 39 year old who may be showing his age. Like because he's not playing well, like she wants the manager fired. And yet, there's probably there's probably a sense in the Chelsea hierarchy that it's good to have such an experienced vet in and around you know those young players. I do think he is a good leader. Okay, I I do think that that's true. He's been a great player. By the way, I mean, and his story, like he's a legend. Like he nearly died when he was transferred to Dinamo Moscow. He he came down with tuberculosis, nearly died. He was in a hospital for six months. Like you can make a movie about this guy. It's his story what is a, incredible. What he's what, achieved. How like, tuberculosis is one of those old timey diseases that we thought we yeah. got rid of. Like, how do you get that again? I don't know. Truly don't unbelievable. Know. So yeah, his his story is amazing. But he again, he's thirty nine. It was when they signed him, like it was it was going to be tough. Didn't she make a joke about his age on Twitter? Like, 
some didn't she oh. I, i'd have to go back to find it i thought she oh. said something like well what do you expect he's 37 or something yeah, something like, like that yeah 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 well but, he's only well, got well, yeah, but don't don't point out why he shouldn't be at the club anymore right there, um yeah. bell yeah um so. she's uh she's a disaster and again <laughs> don't get me wrong husbands if it's a top class female athlete and the husband starts chirping that's a problem too i i want to be i just want to be balanced here it's yes. both sides of the spousal uh, situation. Shut your mouths if you're not the ones. Don't get involved. It's, it's embarrassing. It's not, and it's not usually helpful. Yeah, <laughs> Bird like is it's, gr- it's it's good to stand by your spouse. Like I think that that is that's nice. There's there's something romantic about that. Um, but, oh, but we've like, seen it with Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Giselle Brady, said he can't catch the balls too. Right? He Wasn't can't that throw it you? and catch it. Screaming yeah. that in front of reporters, like after you know, th- no. Can't you can't have that? Yeah. Uh, but Bill Burr's um his bit on 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 that and um, uh, vice president or not vice presidents but first ladies and and first gentlemen is is very funny. Um, quickly also there was another replay uh, as uh, Nottingham Forest go through on penalties and and look uh, look who played the role of hero in this one Matt Turner who got the start because Matt sells was not a Nottingham Forest player in the first match uh, right. of this they FA Cup tie. Play. So he he was not eligible to play. So Matt Turner had to play. Um, and he played a good game and had a penalty save in the shootout. It was sort of a nice redemptive moment. And I get Ultimate, Turner, Ultimately, it may be his, one of his last acts as a first player. But... It's possible. It's yeah. possible. But it's nice to leave everyone with a good image of you. Sure. Um, and uh, Sam Borden of ESPN sat down with Matt Turner. They had a conversation. I give Matt Turner credit in the midst of uh, bad spell play, did this one-on-one. Um, and they talked about all the, you know, the difficulties he's gone through. Here was, um, here's Matt Turner talking about, uh, about the club's decision to bring in Matt's cells. Whenever we've talked, it's always been like, you're trying to sort of compete for something, prove something. What was your reaction when you heard that, Forrest was bringing in Mets. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't blame them, given uh, given the way things had gone for me. But you know, at the same time, uh, I felt like I, you know, was doing. I was doing all right, you know, and I was uh, getting better and improving. But you know, this is a results business, and we haven't been getting the results that we probably deserve or need um, if we want to stay in the Premier League. So. Um, listen, they're going to make the, the decisions that they think is the best for this football club in this city. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think he answered that the right way. He understands why they did it. Um, he doesn't seem happy about it, of course. The problem for Turner, if you watch you know, the rest of the interview, too, he does. He talks about how he knows he has not been the player that he wants to be and whatever he, what he expects of himself. He, he knows that he has not shown that. Um, but he also talks about how he does think of late he's been playing better. That may be true. The problem is that falls on deaf ears because for so many people, the only thing they've seen from you lately was the performance against Arsenal, which was decidedly not the better version of Matt Turner. Um, and that seemed to be the last straw for Nuno and for Nottingham Forest as well, as that's when they got Matt Sells and ushered him right into the starting role. So, look, I, I still think highly of Matt Turner as a goalkeeper, and I, I do believe, I think he's right. There is a better version of him that, for whatever reason, confidence, I don't know what it is. We just we haven't seen it. Um, at least we haven't seen it consistently. I hope he gets, I, I don't know, I'd like to see him get another chance. I do think that there's a good, there's a potentially great goalkeeper in there. I don't know. Um, but I, I don't know where that 
next chance will come. It probably will not come in the Premier League. I agree. You know what? Like, I mean, it was a very gentle way Sam Borden introduced the conversation by saying, you know, some people say you're an excellent shot stopper, but that your feet need work. Like that, that hasn't been, it hasn't been one thing or the other with, with everything's gone wrong. Just like Turner said, yeah. everything, handling, shot stopping, kicking, the whole thing. Um, I, th- there is an argument to be made, Andrew, that considering his late start, considering his progression through MLS late, that it's amazing he ended up in England at 26, 27 years of age. Yeah. And that And that he is, if anything, he's exceeded what could be expected of a goalkeeper uh, of his um, trajectory. I was playing cup matches for Arsenal. That's I mean, you know, it's a that it's in a itself good, maybe, is an amazing achievement. Maybe we expect too much. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But I like the fact he's willing. To, he's going to try and fight, fight back and break back. Um, you know, keep going, keep that, keep his his dream going. And um, he's such an enthusiastic guy. He just seems like a just a good guy to have around. Definitely. And I still think he's our best option in goal. Agree with that as well. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. We'll take a break. We'll come back. A couple other things to get to here. A little bit of a mailbag as well, which I'm excited about. Touch on a oh, lot yeah. of different topics in that mm. one. Um, so still a lot of caught offside here to come. Don't go anywhere. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, back now. Caught offside. JJ, uh, quickly, how about K, uh, Cade Cowell? The yeah. Cup Champions Cup, two goals and an assist, a 9.3 match rating for nice. Chivas, all, all in just 67 minutes of action oh, as uh, Chivas beat Forge FC of Canada 3 1. Yeah, the mighty Forge. Can't say too much about that opposition. Not, not all that familiar with them, but I do know that that was one hell of a performance from Cade Cowell. Wow. That's nice. That's what, that's what he he'll, he'll have to keep doing it. He's under pressure down there. Well, a lot. That's, yeah, it's a good way to win people over. Def, well, yeah, definitely against the mighty Forge. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the start he wanted. Also, I should say more T-shirts going out today after yes. this podcast. It never stops. More T-shirts flying out to you. You can get yours at caughtoffsidepod.com. It's that easy, caughtoffsidepod.com. Um, go over and get yours if you haven't got one yet. Nice. Very nice. Um, let's see, JJ, I wanted to get your opinion of this. Um, mm. So Mark Ogden went in depth on the Glazers tenure at Manchester United. So before you begin, yeah, I just say it looks amazing. And I've, I've, I've ring fenced some time to sit down with a cup of coffee and a biscuit and read through it fully. So oh, I so see- you haven't read it. 
I've skimmed through it and I've even this even is... even shut up. Even in skimming, I yeah. found some amazing stuff in this. So please continue. If I were ranking the top three least professional moments in the history of the podcast, I think this just became the new number one. Uh, can I just uh, this go was on, on the rundown? Uh, this was discussed. I it wasn't actually. You, you put the rundown together uh, and just foisted. It was foisted upon me. I did uh, not sign uh, off. Yes, on this. I'm speechless. But I've I've gleaned enough from from my skim reading because I am a good skimmer. Well, this may actually be even better then. So I will yeah. then read some of these quotes to you, and you can react in real time. Okay. Because you haven't seen them yet, um, because you are not professional. Stop so, saying that. Listen, listen, yeah. you. I do mm-hmm. way more reading than you. I adore to read. What? Where are the metrics of this? I, I, I'll tell you what, Jack and I, because Jack can now read, and so him and I every night. Uh, I used to read to him, but now he can read. But we've continued it, and we. I have a book, and we read together. I'm reading. What a book, book do you again. read to him? No, no, no. I no. He's reading. Oh, and then I'm re- next to him. What's he reading? He just finished the first Harry Potter. Now he's reading the first oh. Percy Jackson. Oh, complete tripe you're feeding this child. Harry I hoping, Potter? I was hoping War and Peace. At least. No, no. Give but, him that uh, or some the, James Joyce. <laughs> he's eight. <laughs> War and yeah. Peace. Yeah, Andersonville or uh, <laughs> what's another 900 page book that we could think of? What about A Long Day's Journey Into Night? Get some, get some American classics out I there. I think Harry Potter for second grade is pretty damn good. I'm proud of the kid. He's doing yeah, great. I'm anyway, well, here, let me read to you now. Um, cuddle up next to me, JJ. Let's turn uh, this reading lamp above us. Uh, so here's some of the excerpts. I'll read them to you, and I, I'm, ex- I'm, I'm excited and curious for your thoughts. So the one thing that I think we, we probably could have guessed, there was just a feeling. You talked about toxicity before. That feeling had clearly permeated at Manchester United. And you were wondering, okay, Sir Jim, even though he's bought in for, what is it, like 25%? Big Sir Jim. Big Sir Jim. But like, even at that number, could that be enough to change the way people feel about the club or within the club? Well, how about this, this quote? Um, So he addressed Jim, Sir Jim Radcliffe addressed all the employees of Manchester United. This quote came out of it. Everyone left the room feeling 10 feet tall, United Mm -hmm. staff member who attended Radcliffe's introductory speech told ESPN. All we have heard for years has been about cutbacks and engagement targets. So to hear somebody tell us that we are going to be a football club again was long overdue and a refreshing change. It was also nice to be in the same room as the person in charge. That has never happened with the Glazers. Nobody, nobody's shocked by any of this. <laughs> like that, the, the engagement targets is the one that stands out. I mean, United, when when they, their shareholders meeting was leaked, what was it, four or five years ago? It was definitely before COVID. And they were saying how... Um, uh, I, 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 like iTunes reviews or engagement on Twitter was up X amount of percent, even though the club was in floundering on the football field. Yeah, so there's yeah. a lot in here about that. That Doesn't... was clearly a thing for them. Mm-hmm. That was clearly a thing. So this uh, more. So Mike, Mark Ogden, like I said, I think he spoke with 15 people from varying positions within the club. Some of whom I think have left the club. They all chose to remain anonymous. Um, so this one regarding Old Trafford, which is, I mean, one of the most famous venues on earth. Regarding Old Trafford, the roof of the main stand leaks when it rains and the stadium has been left off the list of venues for Euro 2028, which will be hosted by the United Kingdom and Ireland. JJ, the fact that the UK is going to be hosting a major tournament and and Old Trafford will not be a part of it because it's fallen into such the a UK state of disrepair. The UK, but I'm saying there's going to be a major tournament is going to be within the UK. Yes. And Old Trafford will not be featured in it. It's, an, emba- it's an embarrassment. Embarrassment. Yeah. Ridiculous. It, 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 
shameful, really. Now, they do go on to say, uh, Mark Ogden reports, in April of 2022, United enlisted stadium architects Populous, who designed the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and Qatar's Lucelle Stadium, uh, who I believe is going to actually host the um, the final this weekend in the Asian Cup, um, and they hosted the World Cup final. And uh, they were going to create, quote, a master plan for the redevelopment of Old Trafford. Two years later, Populous's blueprint is yet to be realized. So we sit and wait. But that um, that is one of the key things of the of the Glazer um reign is that things have been actioned or or whatever the term is, they've been decided on and then nothing happens. Yeah. Nothing happens. Can I read you one? Yeah, of course. Um meanwhile, and this was during the Mourinho period. Meanwhile, transfer windows came and went with the club making expensive mistakes and with the Glazers and Woodward failing to oversee a coherent recruitment strategy. Jose Mourinho Jose Mourinho wanted to sign Ivan Perisic from Inter Milan in 2017, but was told by Ed Woodward that as a player, he wasn't commercially viable. A former oh. United, a former United, United player told ESPN. Woodward has told ESPN that no signing was vetoed for commercial reasons, saying that was never a consideration. After that World Cup, the former United player continued, Jose, Ed and the Glazers uh, said that he wanted to get rid of Ant. Uh, Jose told Ed and the Glazers that he wanted to get rid of Anthony Martial, that he was neither good enough nor reliable enough. That was vetoed by the Glazers. Joel was a big fan of Martial as a player. Yeah. And and there's more. Can you imagine Mourinho hearing that? No, it's ridiculous. Like, again, I, I know you own a team, so obviously you are entitled to a certain perspective in the decision-making process but the idea that like whatever you think of jose Mourinho, he's a brilliant football mind and this idea that joel glazer likes a player so jose Mourinho is told nah your opinion is not going to be listened to on this wild i mean and, and it's there was this too from solshire uh, a quote here in there. Oli wanted to bring down the age of the squad, so he, he identified three young players and told the club they should prioritize signing them. A former United teammate of Solskjaer told ESPN, United messed up moves for, ready ready for this? Here are the three players that Solskjaer wanted United to target. Holland and Bellingham, and they didn't even make an effort for Declan Rice. Those are the three that he had, I mean, not bad. I mean, now look, everyone saw that, but you know, yeah. Bellingham at that point was still very young. He's still very young, but even then, um, Holland, Bellingham, and Rice, Solskjaer wanted them to target. They did. They they did none of that. Uh, but they did sign Donny Van de Beek, despite him not even being a player that Ole had identified as a target. When contacted by ESPN, Ed Woodward said that United would not match Dortmund's guarantee of minutes for Bellingham, while Holland, in United's view, was always destined for City. Yeah, didn't have to be. Give, sorry, I mean, sorry, Borussia Dortmund gazumping Manchester United to a signing of of two players is an embarrassment again. Yeah. Um, Donny van de Beek. All the Glazers care about is money and social media engagement figures, a United source told ESPN. You'll have internal meetings with staff trying to get praise for getting so many likes on this or engagements on that. Oh, my goodness. Right, but you see, that exists. Even, like, if anything, the, the likes and engage, engagements have gone through the roof as United have been bad. Do you know what I mean? Like so, that 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 was never uh, football dependent. No, and but that's never. the problem. Is I think that I mean, how about this one? United won nothing the year after Ronaldo and Tevez left. A staff member from the time told ESPN, but the word around the club was that the Glazers weren't too concerned 
uh, because no trophies meant they didn't have to pay big bonuses to those players. Being in the Champions League was what mattered rather than actually winning it. Now, look, there's nothing here from the Glazers to confirm or deny whether or not these things are true. But the fact that people within the club felt that this was the way that the top, that top brass felt about the running of the club, that is so poisonous and toxic to a work environment. And it's no wonder that you've kind of been left with United in the state that they are now. And Big Sir Jim, as you call him, has a big Sir task ahead of him to try to change. It's it's one thing to make a club good again, but he has... I mean, this guy who is not the majority owner is kind of being tasked with changing the entire culture of this club. And maybe people within the club are so desperate for that to happen that he can do it. They, they are, they're desperate for present leadership and the Glazers have not been that they've just been wanting to, to get rich off of this. Yeah. But, but we've seen the dividends that they've taken out of the club. What was it? Two years ago, they took 96 million just for themselves. Um, now the Glazers will say we weren't involved. They'll they'll their counter will be we weren't involved in football operations. Well, when you're hearing stories that Joel Glazer is telling Jose Mourinho, now nah, we're going to keep Anthony Martial because I like him as a player. That's I don't know. I don't Complete know. Complete and utter dysfunction. But there were, there was always a danger of this with Manchester United being one of the most popular clubs, if not the most popular club in the world. United through you think of the United lore, Andrew. So it begins in the 60s, and it's pretty much uh, founded by the Busby Babes in the in the 50s and the 60s, right? And and they don't United don't do anything in the 70s. They get relegated. They're not part of that kind of major movement of English football, like Liverpool and Nottingham Forest winning Europeans. So they're not they're not they're not relevant in in European football terms. They're not part of the of of English team's dominance. Ditto in the 80s. They're not in any European competition. They don't win a title until 1993. But United have such a lore, they survived three decades. Three decades of being nowhere. How do you do that? You do that by being popular, by being something that can be seen as marketable, that something that matters to fans. And what the Glazers have seen is, actually, it doesn't matter if we win on the field or not. This thing keeps making money. They realize that. And they, that's how decay and decline happens. Well, the problem the problem that they're going to run into that previous iterations of Manchester United didn't really have to deal with, with a couple expe- exceptions through the years. But, like, they've got this other club now in their own city that is one of the biggest in the world. Now, I know Man City have had flare-up moments in the past. Historically, where, like, they'd be good, but then they were terrible and would be relegated multiple times. Like... Manchester City are not that anymore. They are they are a true giant and they are treading on Manchester United's territory with another with a younger up and coming generation of fans that don't care about, you know, sad to say, don't really care about the Busby Babes or what happened back then or, you know, George Best or whatever. So, so, you, so you're saying that this that if if the football continue like would continue to decline, that United would like all those metrics and things that are driving them still uh, financially will go away. If they're. If they're losing and they're not really interesting and they're dysfunctional, and meanwhile, within that same city is arguably the best team in the world, you tell me what's going to happen. It won't happen right away, but in this, generationally, there will be a, a there will be a significant shift. In in the summer of 2021, United Canvas former players employed as club legends for their opinions on recruitment and who should be signed. This is what leads you to. Cristiano Ronaldo when he's 
when he's cooked, when he's finished. One notable ex-player told United that Kieran Trippier, a boy, uh, Trippier, a boy who Trippier, a boyhood United fan, was keen to leave Atletico Madrid. We've never been clear on that. Trippier, yeah, it's Trippier, and uh, desperate for a move to Old Trafford. The Trippier suggestion was rejected out of hand, basically laughed at. The former player told ESPN he was only 31 and ended up at Newcastle for 12 million six months later. Now, I'm not saying they should have signed him. I'm, I'm actually not sure that they should. But the fact that they're canvassing club legends, I that is one thing I hope Big Sir Jim and um, and Dave Brailsford and the Brains Trust at Ineos, they do not uh, go back to that kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. it was Fergie and Rio Ferdinand ended up lumping on top of um, uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a player that they did not want nor had no use for and that couldn't fit into the side. Yeah, so we'll because, see. Because he was a legend. The Glazer culture at United is, has not been a good one. This article is illuminating to that and we'll see now what uh, if the, if this is sort of a fork in the road moment and if United now start to move in another direction as uh, as a new... Granted, a minority owner, but an import, a very important one comes in um, with a, a big voice in the club. I mean, already you've seen Omar Barada's hiring as they took a, a big piece away from Manchester City. So United are not going to take this lying down. It seems like they, they are realizing that there are problems there. And um, I guess that is the first step, JJ, in recovery is uh, understanding that there's a problem. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, mailbag? Got a little yeah. bit of a mailbag here. Taken sure. primarily I've seen from... a lot of stuff I've already replied to on uh, Reddit, but go on. Okay. Um, this one comes from uh, Astronomica One. Uh, so we talked in the last podcast. We were kind of wondering where, what is Texas? Is it the Midwest? Is it the South? The Southwest? Uh, Astronomica One says some geography help for the lads. Not the South. Not the Southwest. Just Texas. Yeah. Um, I saw a lot of that of people just saying it's its own thing. I guess Texas it defies <laughs> geography, I suppose, is the answer. But this the was size from, of it, yeah. This, this is from was... uh, Wheelbreak says, I would say Texas considers itself its own entity as well. But because it's so big, culturally, the north central seems like the Midwest. The eastern part seems like the south. And the western portion is like the southwest. That is just the opinion of someone who has driven across it seven times and has lived in both the south and the southwest. So there you go. I guess the answer in the end is that Texas need not apply for any of those geographical identifiers. It's not the yeah. Midwest. It's not the Southwest. It's not the South. It's but I mean, thing. you can have a town like Austin in Texas and you can also have a town like, you know, El Paso or a town like Dallas. It's, yeah. it's varied and it's enormous. So there you go. Uh, this next one, JJ from loser 33. Uh, they write, um, after we were talking about Liverpool and Arsenal and we, we kind of identified Arsenal's goals and sort of qualified them in certain ways. Oh, heaven, for, um, uh, heaven forbid. So he, he or she, I don't know who they are. They write, um, always so many qualifiers for Arsenal's goals to try to push the narrative that they have an impotent offense. Meanwhile, they have two less goals than quote unquote, high flying spurs. It's always, they only score off set pieces. They score on mistakes and deflections. That's football. Is it not? They all count the same. Every goal has a mistake in it. Um, too, uh, this is too tedious. Honestly, well, it is. Well, the, I, I'll I'll answer it. I'll say you answer. You go for it. I can't be bothered. Okay. Well, I'll, I can be bothered. I can be bothered. Um, I would say that there are fair points in there. If I if I were an Arsenal fan, I would probably feel similarly, a little bit of a chip on my shoulder kind of thing. However, that doesn't necessarily make us wrong with what we said about their goals versus Liverpool. But like, but I do see the point that problems with their attack, that narrative maybe is overblown. They do have a higher XG this season than Manchester City. Um, 
like their problems are that they have a pretty low shot on target percentage, which speaks maybe to the fact that they're they shoot from for a, a further out distance. Um, but I mean, look, I I will say, I mean, I know he's probably he's mad at me too. I'm guessing because I also said that their three goals against Liverpool, each one kind of had a bit of a weird thing about it. But like, go back to our pod on on January second. I did a whole breakdown loser 33 on that show that the attack Arsenal's attack wasn't a problem. It was just their end product that needed improving. So like you're like the sense that, yeah, Arsenal's attack isn't good. It's impotent. I I agree. That is overblown. I said that a month ago, but I felt that their end product wasn't quite where it needed to be. I said, if they had, you know, I don't know that Gabriel Jesus is a lethal goal scorer. And if you had one of the guys from those, from the clubs around them, then Arsenal's attack would be among the best in the Premier League. Maybe it currently, maybe it already is. Um, but I think it, it could be better. Their end product was lacking at that point. There's no, there's no denying that it was. I know. Now, since then, they, they, you know, they scored these three against Liverpool. They had the five against Crystal Palace. So they had a bunch against Brighton as well. Um, but like this, this is all noise around the fact that they won at the weekend. They beat Liverpool, who are flying or were flying, and and so all previous criticism must be removed, must be erased. Anything you said before, that doesn't matter anymore because they won now and it's reset and here we go. Like it's it's a football fans' in, inability to kind of just be like um rational and 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 look at things rather than just have these like binary positions. Arsenal played well. Arsenal also were the beneficiary of a crucial goal at a crucial moment that was thrown in the net by Liverpool. Both things can be true. Arsenal deserved to win the game. Sure. Their their goal, their second goal that was the key goal was fortuitous. Move on. Jesus Christ. But Arsenal fans' ability to complain and piss and moan when they've won a big game is unrivaled. Well, unrivaled. Maybe. I would say a lot of fan bases have that in them. It's not yeah. enough to win. We need all of the, the flowers thrown at us yeah. along with it. A, a lot of fans are like that. I wouldn't single Arsenal out. Um, Perry FC 29. I thought this was interesting, JJ. We talked about the World Cup um, as the host venues were laid out, and we thought that Canada and Mexico maybe got a little bit of a short shrift, even though we kind of did expect that. But Perry FC 29 writes this, For the World Cup talk, as a Canadian, I'm okay with the format. Of course I would love more games, but there's no way Canada would be able to host a World Cup on its own. Well, I couldn't say it's impossible, but considering the complaining around here for $100 million that Toronto needed to spend for the games that it's hosting, the amount of money that would have to be spent to the whole host nation would be a tough sell politically. But to have the opportunity to watch a World Cup game on home soil in our stadium is amazing for me, and I'm very excited for it. I'm also excited that MetLife was chosen as the finals, just in case there's an off chance I somehow managed to somehow acquire a ticket to New Jersey, um, so on and so forth. The Canada part is the part I'm interested about. I think, JJ, that that viewpoint probably reflects a large portion of how Canadians feel. Now, Mexico might be another now, story. Canadians are very, they're very accepting people. They're but they might. Like, but what I said happy to have one. But I think what I said on the left, like they they are maybe realistic in saying that I don't know that our country could have done this by ourselves. So the fact that we've got 13 games and our country is going to be in a World Cup playing all of our group stage matches on home soil for a lot of Canadians. I'm sure that this is they're probably not thinking about, oh, this is BS. We don't have a quarterfinal. They're probably thinking, wow, how cool is this? I like that. I think it's nice. 
Yeah, it is nice when you're when you're sitting living in. Uh, oh, you are the, so cynical. What happened in the country you? that has the majority of the who, games? Who and, hurt the, you? And, the, and the final is at uh, eleven miles or twelve miles from you. Come on, it's so sad to see you talk this way. Uh, let's see. I, I don't have them chapter and verse here, JJ, but I I will at least point out that I saw. Um, that considering it was supposed to be just kind of a fun throwaway topic, people really seem to have a problem with me for my thoughts on uh, Chris Wilder's comments about one of the referees eating a sandwich. F all of you. That's <laughs> the good job. The, the, the animals are so robust and they can be told. Oh, they were so off. annoyed. Yeah. They were so annoyed with my take on that. Oh, all right. I'll eat a sandwich during the next podcast. Watch how many complaints I get. I'll, I'm going to eat a sandwich on the next podcast. Everyone will say, oh, wow, he seems so disengaged. He was eating during a show. What's that? It's rude. It's disrespectful. Oh, fine. All right. I thought it was fair game. Guess not. Licking your fingers like doing this. Yeah. Uh, let's see, JJ. This is from uh, Leather Odd 5. They write in, as a Liverpool fan, between beach balls and the Sterling, quote unquote, offside, I feel like I've spent a lot of time moaning about refs. However, this season definitely feels like something worse. This is from a Liverpool fan. We've had two games against top opponents in which the refs have admitted to making mistakes that cost us goals, Tottenham and Arsenal, and those goals most uh, most likely would have wound up winning us points. More than anything, my biggest fear is that this season will wind up being uh, wind up a one or two points short of a title and see City lift the cup without their 150 plus charges being dealt with. Uh, we can certainly win the title, and doing so with those setbacks would be sweet. But more than anything, I don't want to have to deal with the thought of those ref decisions costing us the title. Sports can be miserable sometimes, and the sense of impending dread to the season might just be worse. Oh, I just can't watch football like that. This is a tough one to deal with here. No, this this one from Leather Odd Five, because like, here's the here are the facts as I see them. No one wants to hear this from a Liverpool fan. A because you're top of the table, so there's an element of oh wow wow poor you. You're top of the table, and B. Because, and you might get mad at me about this, but I do think that there's reputation about Liverpool fans complaining, which probably does start with their manager a little bit, just that there's a there's a whininess that I think people sometimes associate with that fan base. However, in defense of Leather Odd 5, it doesn't necessarily make the claim wrong. So just yesterday, ESPN had a piece up about VAR and officiating the season, and there's, an, there's a line in here, ESPN can reveal that Premier League leaders Liverpool have been most affected in the 2023-2024 campaign with four VAR errors against them. Brighton and Hove Albion and Wolf, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers have each suffered three mistakes and Arsenal, uh, with Arsenal two and eight other clubs, one each. Right. Aston Villa have benefited the most with three VAR mistakes in their favor. Arsenal, Manchester United, Newcastle and Nottingham Forest have each logged two errors uh, which have gone their way. So Liverpool have been adversely affected by VAR errors more than anyone else. So there is some truth to it. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean they also haven't been fortunate in ways that have not necessarily been logged as VAR errors. For example, I would say in the Chelsea game recently, there were two penalty shouts that had they gone Chelsea's way, I don't think VAR overturned them. It felt like one of those no, sorts of things where, like, whatever the call was on the field is probably what it's going to be. Well, the, the first one was the was the most clear cut one. Yeah, the, the Connor, the Van Dyke challenge on Gallagher, and then right. I think maybe even the Van Dyke challenge on Nkunku. Uh, I think well, that I those mean, that would have been too late of, in the game. They're not Chelsea aren't coming back. Uh, probably not. But I'm saying like those those are things that aren't going to necessarily go down. And every team has this. Those don't go down as right, VAR right, errors. Right, right. So once upon a time, we could accept that every team 
what, what, you know, that they won't get the decision that, that they want all the time. We just accepted that. But now because we have VAR, we can we can collate this and create a table, a table of grievance. Come gather around the table of grievance and let's weep. And let's forget about the fact that the, the reason we'll win the league is probably because City are going to click into gear as the Death Star machine that they are, as Barney Rooney wrote in The Guardian, and go on and rip off enough games and win it. That's it. I'm far more, you know, This I look back at this period and I'll think what an amazing team Liverpool were to be able to compete with the with the enormous machine and, and possibly, not possibly, probable, cheat machine that Manchester City were. Well, that's how I look back at it. It's amazing what Liverpool have done. And the football's been great. And the the grim inevitability of another City win is is the thing that we, you should be guarding yourself against, not against referees and crying about stuff like that. Well, this is the era in which we live. Generally speaking, by the way, ESPN report notes the following. The, the accuracy of key match decisions has increased from 82% pre-VAR to 96% this season. Oh, so things go. are... Things are in a good place. Ah, that's what we wanted. <laughs> ah, that's what we needed. Now so we're there you so, go. Now I, we're by the happy. Way, I, yeah. Now we're happy. Yeah. I, by the way, I don't mean F all of you. I, I can joke with everyone, right? And I don't will mean people, it either. Will, and, will people I, understand that? That it, like I'm not actually... Yeah, and I don't mean it either that I'm not bothered, but I've already responded to this. So it's like, I'm done with it. Uh, Liverpool. Yeah. Yep. Uh, hey, listen, so, can't wait for those blue cards. So there you go, JJ. That's a pod. By the way, before we get out, my final question for you. Here's your. This is your question of the day. This is a good one. Oh. Be curious what most people say. So Saturday at 12.30, fill in the blank, or, or pick A, B, or C. Saturday at 12.30, you will be watching A, Nottingham Forest versus Newcastle, B, Real Madrid versus Girona, or C, Bayer Leverkusen versus Bayern Munich. Leverkusen. I think that one too. Although, Girona Real Madrid is also tempting. No, it's a huge. I mean, yeah, we tune into City massive. Football Group every single week. Why are we watching a satellite of theirs? Uh, well, because it. I don't know because it will have like enormous title implications in the La Liga title race. Could maybe decide it if Real Madrid. I'm more in interested. More interested in the German title race. Yeah, I, ultimately, I would say C also. But I'm not going to sit here and let you just blow off Girona versus Real Madrid. That's a huge game. I would never do such a thing. You just did. We all heard you. We're all witnesses. Nope. I'm not blowing off anybody. All right. It was a real edginess to you. A real curtness, uh, bordering on rude over the last hour and a half, I'd say. Yeah. So I know I have I have been I have dipped in and out of irritation. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> eloquent way of putting it. Yes. <laughs> it is. Well, can we call the podcast dipping in and out of irritation? Sure. Sure. I think that's lovely. Uh right. I enjoyed this immensely. I, I love all the animals out there, all right. I want I'm that about on to, the record. I'm about to do the best thing I can do for them right now, apart from giving them top quality podcasting. I'm going to go and give them their t-shirts now. Oh. If, you, well, if you'll even let me. Who, me? Yeah. I'll end the podcast right now. Go do what you got to do. Hey, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this immensely. To you, I say... Check you later, fun boy. I'll see you. Take care. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 